0: Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about In the Key of Niragani* by Natasha Dean. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and 9th grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnewvel.com. Niragani feels like she doesn't fit in in her mostly white Canadian school. It's not just that she's Guyanese or so poor her clothes apologize for their existence, but also that she just can't be herself. At home, she throws herself into playing trumpet, but she knows her parents would never let her join jazz band. Kids at school pick on her, her father's obnoxious brother and his family look down on her, and she doesn't want the same dreams her parents want for her. How can she be the perfect daughter they want when her family refuses to support her passion? Danny, what did you think of this book? So I liked it. I thought it was a light, fun read. I learned some stuff about music and... You weren't here to tell me these things were true, but uh, you know, I just, I believed in Natasha Dean's research and then we talked to her. Which one did you not think was true? Remind me. Or what did you not think was true? I just, I didn't know pocket trumpets were a thing. Oh yeah. I assume that they're not actual like pocket size. How big are they? Mm, They're about this big. (laughs) (laughs) Is that helpful for everyone listening to the podcast? Uh, I don't know what you expected to happen there, Danielle. But yeah, I liked it. It was a fun read. And Natasha Dean is a fun person. And she will be joining us on our episode next week. From the future past, I don't know. Days of past future. We've lost track. Anyway, yeah, I thought that this was great. I like so many things about this. I loved Nira as a character. I thought that she was like a nice mix of like cranky with her family but really loving her family and like i really liked the way you could see that when there were outside forces against her family she was always on her parents side anytime it was like her father's brother being a jerk she was always going to be on her father's side even though at home she's like you never let me do anything right right it was definitely a united front situation so nira's family are guyanese immigrants and basically like I don't know a ton of history about Guyana, but in the book, they talk about like two waves of immigration and basically Nira's father got out but was unable to take any money with him. And so he came to Canada like dirt poor. Whereas his brother came just a couple years later, got to take all of his money with him from Guyana, and thus his brother's family is a lot wealthier and continually rubbing it in his face, even though it's clearly out of everyone's control, like how much money they have. Yeah, like they go over to the uncle's house for dinner and obviously it's in the nicer neighborhood and he's got all the nicer things. And that really also extends to Nira's relationship with her cousin Farah, who's also in school, but she gets to go to a private school. So she's not the only brown person in her school. So there's that disconnect there where Nira is jealous of Farah because she can have friends that look like her, even though she doesn't like Farah's friends at all bar gets to wear nicer clothes clothes are a big deal in this book yeah i had a hard time empathizing with that i'm sure you did too yeah so nira really equates clothes with popularity and like i don't know for me i guess like there was about a six month period in middle school where i wanted better clothes but then i realized that that wasn't gonna Like, connect me to the people I really wanted to hang out with, which ended up being you, so... And I was in trash clothes, so (laughs) it all worked out. (laughs) But yeah, it did make me uncomfortable, like, how fixated Nero was on clothes. She sort of, like, blamed her family for not being able to give her clothes when it was clear that there was no money with which to buy those clothes. Yeah, I mean, I think that it wasn't just like she wanted like a little bit nicer clothes. It was like she wanted the $100 designer jeans or whatever. And I'm just like, that's too many dollars, Neera. Like, <laughs> I definitely want to mention in this episode, because we ended up talking to Natasha Dean in the past future about <laughs> Guyanese hospitality. So in this book, tea is a very big deal and becomes a symbol but I love how Nira's grandmother is always trying to get everyone to drink tea. Yeah, it was a nice detail. It made her grandmother feel like a very real character. Right. Among other things. Among her- other things. Her grandmother's a great character. Right. And she like has this moment where she wears this like bright pink tracksuit or something, but you get the sense of exactly what pink it is. It's like yes. grandma pink. Like fuchsia grandma pink. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to talk about, going back a little bit to music, so the driving force of the beginning of the novel is Nira wants to audition for jazz band at her school. You are making so many faces right now. I wish people could see. (laughs) I hate this band director so much. Like, okay, let's slow down. So y'all, if you don't know, Amanda played trumpet in high school and college. You know, her other life. My other life, I was a music teacher. Yeah. So she's been a high school band director. So I've been a high school band director. And so I have very strong feelings about (laughs) this stupid jazz band director. Because, like, the fact that he was giving such a strong barrier to entry to this jazz band was ridiculous. Like, you're an English teacher. You're not going to tell kids not to write papers if they're bad at writing papers. You're the teacher. You're the one that teaches them to write papers. Right. And also, like, one thing that I got caught up in was... He made people who were already in it last year re-audition with exactly the same process. That seemed like unnecessarily... Like, are they like the best band in the state or something? Even if they're the best band in the state, and I would say especially if they're the best band in the state, then you need to have another jazz band for the people who don't make the top jazz band. Mm, because good point. if you have kids who want to learn and you're saying, no, I don't want to teach you, you're not a good teacher. Right, I definitely felt that too. And I felt like Natasha Dean was trying to build up our empathy for him because the band director is like going through some stuff. But I get the feeling that like while that may be true, this is not out of character for him. This is his policy. This is how he runs his band. Right, he's really strict. And I think there are a lot of band directors who do it that way, who view themselves as band directors instead of music teachers, and it's not great. It's a problem. Right. So, okay, Let's circle back to the pocket trumpet because this matters a lot more than me just mentioning, like, oh, I learned the pocket trumpets were a thing. So Nira is like not practicing in in secret. Like her parents gave her her pocket trumpet, whose name is George, by the way. Georgia, incidentally, also the name of my trumpet. Really? Yeah, your trumpet is in our promotional pictures for this episode. No, that's Anthony, not Georgia. Oh. What was I thinking? Yeah, of course. They're very different trumpets, Danielle. <laughs> so anyway, Nira has this pocket trumpet, which as Amanda said earlier, is smaller than a regular trumpet because it fits in your pocket. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously I know that it doesn't fit in your pocket, but the whole point, y'all, is that Nira has a smaller, less expensive trumpet, and she has all these... Self-esteem issues related to the size of her trumpet and the quality of performance that she feels like she'll be able to give with it. Blah, 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 blah. You know, you can clearly see a mile away that the moral of the story is going to end up being it's not the size of your trumpet. It's the size of your soul. Like, that is clear. There are very nice pocket trumpets out there. Like, I know people who play pocket trumpets. I mean, not a lot of people, but... It's a different sound. I think more people in jazz play it than like classical. Right. Classically, nobody plays it. And one of the things she ends up learning is that like great musicians have played with this trumpet in great performances. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of In the Key of Niragani and dig a little deeper. friends. We need your support to keep making this podcast happen. One easy way to show your love is to order our book choices through our affiliate links. Up next, we'll be discussing A Tiger at Midnight, a new slow burn fantasy by Swati Tirdala. And we have as a guest on the show, Natasha Dean. So you should totally read the book. You can order this book through the link in our show notes and help us keep bringing you great content. Happy reading. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Well, Amanda. Well, Danielle, season three of the Santa Clarita Diet dropped. So I rewatched season two. I've seen season one like two or three times at this point. I really love this show. I love the characters and the way that their relationships are defined with each other. And I especially love The very specific humor that, like, each of the characters kind of operates with. Mostly Joel. So he has this sort of, like, frazzled, anxious, nice guy thing going on. So he's always got a smile on his face. But he seems really uncomfortable most of the time. And I find that hilarious. Um, I love... Their marriage, I love their parenting or their efforts to parent, like a child that doesn't want to be parented. Their parenting is my favorite, <laughs> just how badly it always goes. And I just really like the show. Santa Clarita Diet. How about you, Amanda? What's your brew of choice? So I just got home from training, which is great. And when I came home, I came home to my Nintendo switch, and my Nintendo switch has on it Tetris 99 which is a new battle royale game that just came out for switch where 99 people start playing tetris and only one person wins and (laughs) it's the greatest thing in the whole world i only want to play that from now on i just want that to be my new religion occupation and hobby and (laughs) (laughs) i'm just trying to figure out how to work in getting a paycheck with that but i love it it's so much fun if you like tetris it's the thing there are people that get paid to play Fortnite. Oh, yeah, but they're a, a lot prettier, better, or funnier than I am. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on In the Key of Niragani. The rest of the show will contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on In the Key of Nirigani by Natasha Dean. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! All right. So, since we did not spell it out in the first part of our episode, but we talked about the jerk band director, I thought that this was such an interesting choice that she doesn't actually make it into the jazz band. I agree. I really liked that. I didn't see it coming, and... Like, I liked that she didn't make it into the jazz band because she hesitated. And, you know, we said he was strict and, like, a terrible teacher. But, you know, she gets up there and she hesitates. And he has no patience and dismisses her. After making her audition in front of everybody, which is a whole nother thing. Anyways, I'm going to stop ripping into this band director now. But, like... He's a fictional band director. I'm mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... She doesn't make it in the jazz band. And, you know, she has to decide, like, what does this mean for her? Is the jazz band the only way that she can, like, have her passion actualized or whatever? And she decides no and starts playing at clubs. And I thought this was so cool. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was great. I mean, it was a really great choice to have her want this badly enough to not only fight with her parents for permission... When that falls through, find another avenue against their wishes going and playing in these clubs. Yeah, I thought it was great. She's tenacious, for sure. She's very tenacious. And we didn't really mention this, but like, you know, she had to get a job at a music store to save up money to rent the trumpet if she was going to be in jazz band, blah, blah, blah. So like she had that too. So she, she definitely like overcame a lot of things and then, you know, went her own way. How did you feel, Amanda, about the descriptions of playing the trumpet? I thought it was fine. I mean, I think that it's it's very difficult to write about playing music because it's the only thing. That's why there's music. <laughs> Nothing else fills that gap. I thought that Natasha Dean's writing about music was very different from other books about musicians that we've read. I think that it's super clear in this book how much Nira loves music and like is working for it and feels passionate about it. I think that really shown through. Yeah, I agree. It's shown through. And we talk a lot about protagonists who are supposedly good at things, but never practice. But she is like a person who practices. Yeah, you gotta practice. (laughs) The biggest thing that caught me was uh, when she was like, I'm just gonna leave and go practice and other things are gonna happen in the house. And I'm like, no nothing else is happening in that house no one else can hear each other there's a (laughs) trumpet practicing i thought about that too because you've been in a house where a trumpet has been practicing i have (laughs) (laughs) okay so plenty of other things i loved about this book that i want to talk about but first i want to talk about something i did not love i do not like when secondary characters in books tell the protagonist all the time how great they are like Farah being like, you're better than me, you're the best one of us, you're so great, you're so sweet, you're so kind, you're so smart. See, I took that differently. How did you take it? I took it as being less about Nira and more about Farah. Because Farah has to deal with her lousy, philandering father and her shade of a mother, and trying to have some sense of self and identity means that she like strikes out and like smokes and does all these kinds of things. Because she has like fundamentally low self esteem. So it makes sense that she, even though like she strives hard to be like perfect in a lot of ways, like she makes the best grades and blah, 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 she also sees Nira as like a more authentic person and thinks of that as a good quality. Sure. Like I (laughs) could understand that, but she is not the only one who tells Nira how good she is. I don't remember other people telling her, but I believe you. The dude, right? noah whatever his name was like her li the the dude you know i don't remember dude's names i it's a thing i'm pretty sure it's noah the love interest he told her how great she was but i guess that's part of the gig um i love the grandmother navigating between like her two granddaughters i loved that i loved that Faro is not like The bad guy the whole time. Like when they went over to that dinner the first time and everybody was ganging up on Nira and her mother, and I was like, oh god, this can be one of those where like Farah's gonna be terrible the whole time and that's gonna be like Nira's main obstacle to anything. And it ended up not being like that. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that too. I liked the character of Farah a lot. Me too. One small detail in this book that I liked and felt very seen by. Nira starts acting weird because she's going and playing jazz behind everyone's back. So she's being cagey and, you know, like, is a bad liar or whatever. And people can see through her and they can see that something's going on. And everybody asks, is it a boy or is it a girl? Like, is it a boy problem or a, a girl problem? Just very naturally not assuming about her. Love that. I liked that too. So I also thought that Nira's relationship with her best friend was interesting, and I wish there had been a little more of it versus it mostly being defined by its absence. Yes. And this is another one of those moments where we have to, well, we don't have to speculate, but this is another one of those moments where I speculated how much relationship there might have been in previous versions of this book. Mm. Maybe. I mean, I think that it felt pretty obvious to me that Emily and Mac were dating. From the beginning. Yeah. And I also feel like Emily was not really great to Neera about dealing with that. Like Nira had some really strong reasons to dislike Mackenzie. Right. And Which Emily... were not related to sexuality. No, of course not. But Nira had a lot of good reasons to not like Mackenzie. And I don't feel like Emily was ever a very good medium of like, like Emily never said, she just gets really nervous around you. Like she doesn't mean to say these things. They just come out really wrong. Right. She stuck more with like, she's nice when you get to know her. Which is the textbook thing that people say about lousy people. Right. (laughs) And it's like ignoring Nira's very real criticisms of Mackenzie. Yeah. And like, Sure. Mackenzie was just buffooning around like she did not mean to do harm, but she still did do harm. Mm -hmm. She apologized for it, but it could have all been a lot easier if Emily had been more proactive. Right. And when we say like do harm, Mackenzie says several racist things over the course of the book. Yes. But I did like how later Mackenzie talked to her and was like, I don't mean to say racist things. I just get so nervous. You're so intimidating. Like, I really liked that interaction. Yeah. She came over and apologized, like, privately. So, you know, it wasn't like, I'm apologizing because Emily's making me. And it wasn't like, I'm sorry, you took this the wrong way. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like that was key. Like, her apology put nothing on Nira. Her apology was all just like, I'm dumb. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be dumb. I'm trying not to be dumb. Right. I agree. So I really like Nira's relationship with her parents over the course of the book. And just basically her trying to understand their experiences as they also try to understand her current experience and her dreams and things like that. And this kind of manifests itself at two really great moments where her mother buys for her father this like small barbecue and he hates it. Because it's small, smaller than his brother's, right? And we we talked about that dinner scene. And, like, he he just gets so, like, baffled by this small barbecue, which, of course, is, like, the small trumpet and blah, 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 blah. But, like, her mother was trying to provide something, like, an acceptable substitute. And at this other moment, Nira goes to a consignment shop and she finally gets all the nice clothes she wanted because that's so important to her. And she brings them home and her dad throws them away. And it's this whole big scene. And like what I really liked about this scene was it's very clear to us and very clear to Nira that there's something else going on here because he completely overreacts in quotation marks about these clothes And it turns out that he does not like them because they are secondhand clothes. And when he was little, all he had was secondhand clothes. And he swore to himself that when they came to Canada, like, it would be to make their own life and not accept it secondhand. So the clothes become symbolic and Nera, like, gets insight into her family's experience But then, but then he does, he does get the clothes out of the trash and washes them and folds them. And I thought that was a really sweet um, concession on his part uh, after he was like so emotional and blew up at her. Obviously, it's not great that that kind of explosion happened. And like clearly Nira is hurt and baffled by the whole situation, but that then he worked to make it right. um, Even if he, you know, wasn't willing to talk about it or apologize. I thought was a really good insight in his character. Yep, there were many sweet moments in this book and overall I thought it was a fun read with many great characters and relationships and stuff as symbols so that was great (laughs) English teacher heart smiled on that one yeah it'll be great in a classroom library that's our show for today friends you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast we'd love to hear from you don't forget to grab your copy of next week's book A Tiger at Midnight by Swati Tardala via the link in our show notes And if you're enjoying this show, leave us a review on iTunes. Happy reading!